0: Isn't it amazing? The older you get, hands up if you know this. No, don't, hands up. But the older you get, the more simply your praise become. Like you pray l- more simply. You pray less and more, if that makes sense. Pray things like, Lord, you know, help me to lose weight in the least painful way possible. <laughs> Lord, it hurts when I get up in the middle of the night to pop to the loo. Could you help me with my pain? <laughs> Lord, I know the face. I just can't remember the name. Please help. There is power when we pray. (laughs) Prayer is the profound gift and privilege of communicating with the creator of the universe who has created you and I for intimate, interactive, conversational relationship with him. It's a profound privilege to pray. And as we saw last week, this interactive conversational relationship is what we see in the lives of the early church as they seek God in their context. In almost all of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts, the church can be seen praying personally and corporately as one body at one time or another, in one way or another. They built their lives around the centrality of prayer and all that they did came from that place. Guiding, shaping, empowering the church. What starts as personal prayer then spills out into the streets of their cities and transforms lives and whole cultures. This was the prayer life of the early church. They lived a lifestyle of prayer. It it, it wasn't a sort of devo in the morning. It was a life lived, saturated, soaked and constantly found in unceasing prayer. But like the early church, we have to learn to push back against the relentless compulsion and drivenness and noise of our culture to create the space, place, rhythm, and patterns if we want to flourish in our own personal lives and become the agents of change our city so desperately needs. So, this morning, I want to look just very simply and very practically at three foundational practices of prayer that played a key role in how the early church prayed. First, they learned the importance and priority of personal prayer, the importance and priority of, of constantly praying personally. They discovered the power of thanksgiving and they learned the cry of intercession. Personal prayer giving thanks and intercession. First came the importance and priority of personal prayer. Watching and learning from Jesus, the early church made a priority of regular patterns of withdrawing for private times of prayer to be with God. In the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat with his disciples, and gave them these simple instructions. But when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And he didn't just teach them to pray. He led them by example, making a constant habit and priority of withdrawing to pray. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 it says very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed in Luke chapter 5 it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray in Luke chapter 6 verse 12 it says on those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray he spent the whole night praying to his father he also made a practice of invited, inviting some of his closest friends to go with him. In Mark chapter 6, he extends this invitation. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Wouldn't have that been a nice treat. With constant attention... And expectations surrounded by hundreds of people constantly demanding healings, signs, and miracles. He consciously and deliberately chose to withdraw for a time of prayer. He modeled a rhythm of engaging and withdrawing, of doing and then being, of activity and then retreat. And this pattern of slowing down to go to a secret place to prayer is recorded over 40 times in the Gospels. Over 40 times, Jesus makes the deliberate choice to say no. And he withdraws to spend a quiet time with God. Not only does he teach us to have a secret time of prayer, but he models a different rhythm of life. It's not a frenzied rush. From one place to another, but an intentional sacred pace that has prayer at its center. He was conscious of God's presence on him at all times. He lived a different rhythm, a different pace to the culture around him where he makes a priority of stepping away from all the noise, the crowds, the distractions to recenter himself in the father's presence. The secret of Jesus' public ministry can be attributed directly attributed to the amount of time he spent alone in the father's presence. And if he has to do that, how much more do we? We have to be a people that learn how to withdraw from the culture around us and seek God's face. We have to withdraw to engage if our interaction with the world is to bear any lasting transformation and fruit. It has to come from a place of prayer. Without prayer, our faith and ministry in the world is powerless. One of the most essential foundation stones for our spiritual well-being is a secret life of God where we build a relational history with him. Meditate on his word. Get to know his character. Get to know his promises. Get to know who he is. Get to know who you are in him and all that he's called you to be and do for him. Get to know the words of love he wants to speak over you. Secure your identity in him. This is where we will find spiritual flourishing. It's also also where we'll find how to live out our faith in the world around us. There's a still point. There's a still point. Each one of us has a still point. An eye of the storm, where no matter what's spinning around us, we can find ourselves in that place. There's a secret place in God. It's not busy. It's not noisy. It's not anxious. It's not compulsive. It's not driven. And he is waiting there for you. For no one else. He's waiting there for you. And when we find that place, it's a game changer in the life of faith. It's a game changer in the life of faith. Everything changes. The wonderful writer, A.W. Tozer puts it like this. Only after all the noise has spent itself do we begin to hear in the silence of our hearts the voice of God. So we have to create the space, build the rhythm, go to the secret place, close the door and build a personal, interactive, conversational history with God where we know him and we know he knows us and we do that over time i've learnt to build a little prayer this is a little practical moment i've got this space that i build every time i pray they told me not to go under the cur- um, can can i go can i duck will i disappear from screen i'm just going to show you a little bit of what i've got going on in here this is my little space that i've learned over the years to build and i set it up every time i sit down to pray god's word Do you have a Bible that you're able to take around with you, that you mark, underline, date, where you know that you know God has spoken to you over and over again, and they're dated and marked? Do you have scriptures that you camp out in, that God's held you in place through times of darkness, through the ups and downs of life? And do you go back to them and rehearse and remind yourself, this is who our God is. This book's alive. It's the only book on the planet where the author speaks to us still today. Inside it, I've got some images, and I set these images up. I've got an image of Rembrandt's return of the prodigal son, because I'm always a prodigal. Every time I seek after God's love outside of Jesus, I have to return to him as a prodigal. I kneel before the Father and say, Lord, here am I, messed up again. Would you please cleanse me, forgive me, wash me clean, set me straight. Let me feel your love. I've got an image of a shepherd reaching down for a sheep with an eagle flying over him. It was given to me in 1998. I'm that old. And it's an image that's held me through seasons of life. I have an image of the Sacre Cœur in Montmartre. That's about as good as my French gets, and even that's not proper French. But it's a cathedral on the hill in Paris, and we lived in an apartment. My wife and I, just under that cathedral when I met with Jesus, when he plucked me out of darkness, it happened in Paris. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Something like that can happen in Paris. Sorry, darling. (laughs) My wife's French. That was terrible. I'm in trouble when I get home. Can I come for lunch, somebody? (laughs) You know what this reminds me? Every time I take it out, it reminds me of who I was when I met Jesus. Jesus. It reminds me of just the the darkness and the lostness of my soul when I first met and encountered the love of Jesus. I put these out in front of me. I build this space out. I've got devotionals that I often dip in and out of. I have a cross that I was given to by a, a monk in the desert of Egypt when I went for a retreat for a week. He'd been in silence for months, and he led a retreat. He spoke for... 30 minutes to 45 minutes then left us for the rest of the day trying to work out what on earth he just said because it was it was a whole another whole another planet and he gave me this cross and I will spend mornings where I'm just sitting holding the cross saying lord help me lord transform me lord i thank you for the cross thank you for the gift of your son for i no longer live but Christ lives in me. I want to live a cruciform life, and I just hold on to it as I pray. I hold on to it when I pray for my kids. I hold on to it when I pray for people I love. I've got a prayer rope from the, from the monastery of Mount Athos, Mount Athos in Greece, that a really good friend who I prayed with for 15 years gave me. It reminds me of that relationship. I've got a journal where I put some of my profound theological reflections. LAUGHTER This is my space. This is my secret place. This is where I go in and I set it up and I shut the door. Do you have one? Have you built a history and a journey with God where you can look down at this space and go, Lord, this is the kind of God you are. This is awesome. You've carried me in the ups and the downs. You've carried me through the darkness and light. You've, you've answered prayer. Where there hasn't been answered prayer, you've carried me in the pain of these moments, through bereavement, through loss, through ups and downs. Have you got a relational history and story with God? Can you go back to that place, set it up so it reminds you, so it stares you back in the face and says, this is your God and this is your personal story with him? God's asking us, to make a priority of personal prayer some of us right now he is asking come with me to a quiet place build a personal space of prayer and be with him number two the early church had discovered the power of giving thanks Thanksgiving played a crucial role in the life of the early church. Whether it was in letters, in their worship, when they broke bread, or in private prayer, they constantly gave thanks to God. Even when they faced some of the most challenging seasons of persecution and difficulties and suffering, they praised God with thanksgiving. In Acts 16, we get this incredible story of Paul and Silas in prison at midnight when they were worshipping and giving thanks. And in verse 26, it says this, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain came loose. There is power in giving thanks to God, irrespective of the circumstances you find yourself in. Giving thanks can overcome cynicism and break open a hard and critical heart. This is one of the things I struggle with and i've found giving thanks helps with that it can help us to become more peaceful joyful and content it can shatter self pity i have the best pity parties i got guest lists at my pity parties i have to practice giving thanks it can help us to break out of living as victims it can act as a form of spiritual warfare that pushes back against the darkness and ushers in his presence Giving thanks also has a profound way of changing our perspective. One of the images I carry around with me is a couple who I baptized in India years and years ago, nearly 20 years ago. And I remember when the water poured over their heads. We baptized them in our hotel bathroom because of the persecution and the village they were in. Threatened their lives. And when the water poured out over them, the presence of God felt. It was just profound. And I look at that image, and it reminds me, it gives me perspective. Sometimes we need perspective. A girl wrote this letter to her mum from college. It went like this Dear mum, sorry I haven't written sooner. I broke my arm and my leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dormitory when we had a fire. We were lucky. A young service station attendant saw the blaze and called the fire brigade. They arrived in minutes. I was in hospital for a few days. Paul, the service station attendant, came to see me every day. And because it was taking so long for our dormitory to get fixed, I moved in with him. He's been so nice. (laughs) I must admit, I'm pregnant. Paul and I plan to get married as soon as he gets a divorce. I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine and will write more when I get the chance. Love your daughter, Susie. P.S. None of the above is true, but I did get a C in sociology and flunked chemistry. I just wanted you to receive this news in its proper perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we just got to get perspective. Perspective. We have so much to be thankful for in this place. I mean, we live, thank you for California. We live in one of the most beautiful places I've experienced on the planet. We have so much. Just look at the clothes we're wearing, the cars we drive, the homes we live in, the fresh water we get to drink, the air we breathe. The power of giving thanks for simple things in life can give us really good perspective And when we make a habit of giving thanks and reminding ourselves of who God is, his character, his promises, his faithfulness, something inside us shifts. Our hearts and thoughts get aligned with his. And we find ourselves starting to want to worship and praise him. This is something Paul constantly practiced, even while writing letters to churches that he loved from prison. Listen to how he opened some of these letters in Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he begins, Praise be to God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. From prison. In Philippians, I thank God every time I remember you in my prayers for all of you. In Colossians, we always thank God our Father our Lord, for our, um, We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul had been run out of town, beaten, whipped, imprisoned, betrayed by friends, naked, cold, hungry, shipwrecked, and stoned because of his faith, but he never stopped giving thanks. It's the power of thanksgiving. This is a man who lived and practiced continually the discipline of giving thanks to God. And this is his encouragement to the church in Thessalonians. Look at this, chapter 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Give thanks in all circumstances. You may have noticed that over the last year in our services, whether I was filming from home, which were such joyful days, Um, or in the courtyard that I made a practice through the last year of all that we've been through. The practice of leading us in giving thanks for the simple things in life. Get perspective. Give thanks. Some of you here are facing difficult circumstances. And I know this sounds barking mad as we say in the UK. But I want to encourage you make a practice of giving thanks before you think of the circumstances. This week, for some of you, it's just going to be the hard graft of waking up in the morning and making a determined effort to say, God, I'm choosing to give you thanks. But watch what he does. Watch what God can do when we make a habit and practice of giving thanks. Becoming a people who practice giving thanks is a culture changer in a city like ours. Lastly, the church in Acts had learnt how to cry out to God in intercessory prayer. In chapter 4, in the face of increased persecution, of being arrested and banned for speaking the name of Jesus, the threat of violence, we get this incredible story of the church coming together corporately and crying out in intercessory prayer. Look at this. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Then it said this, after they prayed, The place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Intercessory prayer is a cry to God and we cry out for breakthrough and watch what happened to the church. Read in, see what they were able to achieve after this encounter with God. In the face of increased persecution and violence, they didn't shrink back they didn't surrender or retreat into a subculture. They went after the lost. They went to the darkest places of their city, anointed in the power of God. They raised their voice to God in intercessory prayer. The place was shaken, and they were all filled and spoke the word of God boldly. That's the kind of prayer meeting I want to be in. That's the kind of prayer meeting I want to see in this church. Intercessory prayer. Is when we stand in the gap on behalf of someone or a situation and cry out to God for breakthrough. It's like holding on to God's promises and character and power and a situation or issue and literally refusing to let go until we see the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's a place of spiritual warfare when we go to battle and push back the darkness over people's lives and our city. It's getting God's perspective on the world and seeing what he sees and crying out with what Paul calls groans that words cannot express. Intercessory prayer is when we have no words left but we just cry out to God for breakthrough. Intercession is the privilege of carrying a burden of God into your prayer life and holding it before him until the burden lifts. It's a profound privilege when you get caught up with something that is burns in God's heart and out of your gut you get this sense of, Ah, oh, God, break in and break through. Walter Wink, great author, says this wonderful, short, but powerful quote. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. And God is looking for a people in this time and in this place who will stand in the gap for all the garbage and crap and pain and darkness that we see in our city and cry out to him until we see the culture shift he's looking for those people today he's looking for those people in this church and his invitation to us is to get over ourselves surrender afresh to him and say lord as for me and my house start here start here Teach me to pray. I want to be in prayer meetings where I see the presence of God fall in such a way. I want to be out in the streets where I get a sense of what God's up to and I speak life and see people set free. God is looking for a people who stand in the gap, listen for his heart and his plans for Los Angeles and pray his kingdom come until we get breakthrough. Making a priority of personal prayer. A habit of constantly giving thanks and crying out to God in intercession is how the early church found the power to transform their cities and it's how we'll find the power to transform ours. So over the next few months, we're going to start to build rhythm and patterns. We're going to start to create space for us to be able to come together corporately and cry out to him, but also we're going to encourage and give tools as to how we can be praying personally personally. In August, we'll be opening the prayer chapel. Across the courtyard in our main building, we have a prayer chapel. It's the most amazing space, one big room with five smaller rooms attached to it that you'll be able to book out and pray for as long as you want. Go in, shut the door, and build your secret place and cry out to him. We'll also be doing um, corporate prayer meetings in that space. And If they get too big, they'll move in here. Let's pray they get too big real quick. We'll be doing Kingdom Comes, and on occasions that Kingdoms Come, you, you know this, God will take us and move in our midst, and we'll end up crying out over our city. We're going to be relaunching and recalibrating our prayer teams on Sundays so that we can pray over people that come forward to respond to God's spoken word and in our Kingdom Comes. We're going to be doing a prayer walk around our city. What would it be like to see thousands of Christians marching around the city, just praying God's favor and blessing? And in fall, we'll be holding a healing retreat. I believe it's part of God's vision for this space to become a thin space where people encounter God's presence in prayer. We have to be a praying people. It's the only way Christianity gets its power is in the source of the secret place when we're on our knees crying out, with God. And our task in the days ahead will be to position ourselves as close to Jesus as possible, to learn to hear his voice, to allow his Holy Spirit to break our hearts afresh with what breaks his heart and to lead us into becoming a praying people. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's stand. I'm going to invite us to pray right now.